0: Hello and welcome to Energy and Efficiency with Emily. This is season five of the E3 podcast, and I'm your host, Emily Matram. In this podcast, we like to talk about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to, I think this is season five of the E3 podcast. I'm really excited today. Uh, You may have heard me talk recently or seen me at some of the conferences with some of my friends like Ross Trithui and uh, Allison Bales. I'm really into mechanical and indoor air quality and starting to talk about uh, the things that Often people don't think about until they've already built all of their structure, but house is a system and it's really important to talk about all of this from the very beginning. So I'm excited to talk about what's new, what's coming up and maybe what we should stop doing. So um, today with me on the podcast, I have Cyrus. So Cyrus, tell everybody who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll just chat.
1: For sure. Yeah. So I'm Cyrus Kangaroo. Um, I'm with Yaga I'm a mechanical engineer. I've been with Yaga for twelve years a bit, um, and I'm a mechanical engineer based out of Vancouver and work for a uh, company that you've probably never heard of before, but Yaga, spelled J-A-G-A, uh, based out of Belgium, and we're kind of known as the most forward-thinking uh, premier hydronic heating, cooling, and ventilation company uh, in Northern Europe. Uh, been providing equipment on multitude of projects since um, since the early 60s. Um, and we've kind of just kind of grown in our own corner of Belgium and and uh, really developed our uh, products that can enable some incredibly efficient uh, heating and cooling and NASA ventilation uh, on any project uh, that really any dwelling or museum or airport or office. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a big mix of everything we do. But I'm based out of Vancouver, Canada, and uh, we work on uh, work with mechanical engineers that are designing structures, uh, be it single family homes to offices to anything, and uh, help them uh, with their decisions on which products to choose and then help contractors on how to actually install products um, effectively. So that's in a real nutshell what I'm all about here.
0: This is awesome. I'm really excited. Uh, one because your your parent company is you know in, uh, in Europe and you're in Canada. And I like yes. to think that we learn a lot of things from the Canadians here uh, in the United okay. States. In you know at least climate zones five, six, and seven. Like you guys yes. are just doing doing some better things than we are, or maybe, you know, you standardize a few things, especially in the healthy building environment. So I'd love to hear you talk about what people are currently doing and maybe what the shift should be on what they should be doing. I wish there was MEP on every residential project. Doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. um, But I think that we're starting to see that as some of the failure in our environment is that um, without a good design for our mechanical systems, we're not maybe getting the execution that we want. And we're potentially creating problems that we didn't think would exist or maybe uh are more challenging you know we're trying to move away from fossil fuels well, yay that's great but if we're using refrigerants and we're piping them through our house and it's only as good as the installer that did it of the design that they did and we're leaking refrigerants we're creating other scary problems we weren't you know anticipating so i'd love for you to talk about what we're currently doing and what we could be doing better
1: yeah that's a really uh thanks for bringing that up too i i am based out of vancouver but i do work all up and down the states so like i um and continuously, like I just finished a project in and in Austin. Uh, we're doing quite a few projects in Utah, all up and down the the, the coast. Uh, so for whatever reason, there's uh, uh, some projects like all up and around uh, Monterey Peninsula in, in California. There's those have been. Um, really forward thinking in what they're installing, but it's very true. Like I do see lots of projects where they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we can, we can design the system. We want it to be really efficient. We don't want to have any gas connection. We want to make this uh most efficient project. And then they'll all of a sudden just like cover the thing with the uh, copper pipe and and refrigerant all over the place, like right in the living space. It's like, well, you don't really need to do that. And the refrigerant itself, that if they're doing this for environmental reasons, that's kind of a, a um, significant contributor to uh, greenhouse gases like by a huge margin over CO2. Um, so the, the refrigerants being used are quite uh, detrimental to the the atmosphere. So if those leak it's like, okay, well, who cares if you drove around your F-150 for a couple of years, that one leak of refrigerant in your space dwarfs the uh, CO2 that, uh, uh, that, that car created. So it dwarfs, dwarfs the uh, greenhouse gas, Sorry, I should say. But uh, what uh, what we've been kind of promoting, or not really necessarily promoting, but but uh, seeing on lots of projects, especially like in California, where I do see a pretty big shift, where there is starting to get some uh, some interest and some uh, kind of visibility on like a, an air to water heat pump, uh, where they'll let's say if they're building a single family home, uh, just like a regular, and we done these on projects like these don't have to be crazy homes like these are just like regular uh i call them bungalows i don't know if that's a term in uh that you guys hear too often but bungalows just like a one story maybe they'll have a basement maybe not but it's uh yeah like on these just regular bungalows is that a thing or is that just i'm coming from alberta <laughs>
0: No, it so, is uh that's a okay. that's a though. I think most of the time in the architectural world, a bungalow is probably one and a half
1: stories. Yeah, so exactly. it's like that's a little right. half
0: story above it. But yes, it's absolutely an architecture term.
1: Okay. Because I, I say that because sometimes like I, I'm originally from Alberta and then I'll say random sayings, and people are like, I have no idea what you just said. And I'm like, oh wow, okay, I just grew up with that saying my whole life. But uh I was just questioning myself as I said that. But um uh yeah, and I'm seeing just regular homes where they're there was like maybe 10 years ago, there was a ton of interest in radiant floors. Everyone's like, oh, I want to have warm feet. I want to do radiant floors. And um, and the contractor community uh, in a lot of different states and, and provinces got very good at installing these radiant floor systems, but those systems needed a boiler and um, which obviously needs a gas connection And and we can move past that now. Like hopefully we're at the point where we can talk about, okay, where we don't necessarily need the gas connection we don't need a boiler in a space but where you can actually use an, an air to water heat pump that will generate uh, the hot water in a just electrical manner so all the refrigerant is located outside of the space that's outside in the actual uh, air to water heat pump uh, no refrigerant and a very small amount of it uh, no refrigerant is actually in the space only that small amount is in that outdoor heat pump and uh, then they'll They'll use that heat pump to generate hot water for that radiant floor. Then the occupant can get the nice warm feet that they ask for. Well, the nice advantage, or I guess I don't want to say byproduct, but with these air to water heat pumps is you actually get cooling. Uh, So in the summertime, you can get cold water from that same air to water heat pump. There's a reversing valve in that, uh, that air to water heat pump. It'll reverse the refrigerant cycle and give you cooling water. Uh, but the disadvantage with the radiant floor is like, it doesn't really do much. Like you put cold water in that radiant floor, if it is actually designed properly and, uh, meant to be above that, uh, 56 or whatever the dew point is, uh, 56 Fahrenheit, you're not going to get much cooling output out of that floor. Uh, but if you combine that, uh, radiant floor with some low profile, really sleek fan coil terminal units or. Uh, trench fan coils or some some other device that can actually take advantage of that cold water effectively and give you cooling into the space, now you actually get some powerful air conditioning and, and some cooling that'll actually work properly. Uh, so I'm seeing that now as like a pretty big push where it's, uh, uh, okay, well, we have radiant floor, we like how this works. And then now I'm going around and showing contractors who are very well-versed on how to install radiant floors. I'm showing them, all, okay, well, let's insulate our piping so that the condensate, Uh, doesn't collect on the piping and you don't get sweating pipes and let's install these air handlers or these fan coils and then um, have short duct runs or maybe no duct runs at all and uh, this is how we can make it work. It's kind of been an interesting setup where it's like all electric, all air conditioning, very little refrigerant being used and uh, just water.
0: And I think I uh, heard Ross say this. So I'm going to ask you as a mechanical engineer, right, too, because I know just enough to be dangerous, but I'm super interested in this. Is, um, it actually takes a lot less energy to move the water than it does to move refrigerant. Is that true?
1: That is, yeah. So the pumping energy is far less. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, like there's, um, it's really like the the runs of the water. It's, it's going through like typically PEX pipe, like this plastic pipe. Um, and it's either half-inch or three-quarter-inch pipe. The uh, refrigerant, that has to be, like, you are moving gas, essentially, through these small little copper tubes. Um, And then the other thing is that it has to be copper. Uh, So it has to be copper, and it has to be, like, actually welded, and, like, a refrigerant technician has to actually connect all that pipe properly. Nice thing with with hydronics or just with water-based systems, you can just use PEX pipe, and that's been proven over the decades to work quite effectively now uh so and that's i just keep saying okay the refrigerant guys like that's been very or sorry not the refrigerant the radiant guys they've been very uh they've been well versed on how to to install their uh the radiant flooring uh product effectively and now that it's just a small little tweak and and then uh, they can also install cooling through that same system uh so it's uh it's actually been kind of interesting working with all these different radiant flooring installers and just seeing the shift uh that's been really interesting working with them and seeing how they're gaining a lot more a uh, lot more clientele and as well as a lot more kind of just pride in their uh in their projects uh like it's it's i'm not uh Super big on social media, but just some of the contractors that I work with, it's like they're all about making these super cool reels of uh, their installs and like showing like the whole pipe rods and then putting the ins- insulation on the units. It's been uh, interesting seeing how, uh, how proud they are of, the, of their finished product uh, for these homes they're working on.
0: Yeah. Now I want to follow all of these people that you follow uh, because that <laughs> that's fascinating to me. Um, well, the my, things- my
1: colleague, my colleague, Andy, who's also on the call too, she's uh, introduced me to a lot of them. And uh, it's been interesting to see. It's just like about their pride of workmanship. And it's just their, they want to share that with the world. And uh, like when it's when they're proud of what they're doing, it's like a nice product comes out on the end of it. So, yeah
0: that was uh one of the things that I've just been involved in from the beginning um it started m- more than a decade ago we had a local building science uh discussion group that got started and people would just get together and they would talk about you know the things they did what worked well what didn't work well um at the time some of the builders were frustrated with some of the um point chasing rating systems, right? So you could you could get a rating by putting a, a bike rack in, even if you you didn't necessarily live somewhere where it was feasible to ride a bike. And, you know, so some of them were frustrated by that. Like, how do we, that's how uh, the Pretty Good House book kind of came about. It was like, you know, how do you build a pretty good house without, you know, kind of doing some of these things that either don't make financial sense or whatever. But um, one of the things that got up, got brought up recently um as we were talking about these air to water systems which i thought was kind of like an aha moment for me is um when you move to water water is water right um When we're looking at, you know, air-to-air heat pumps or whatever, and we're talking about different refrigerants, they're going to change the refrigerant, right? Because they're always going to be trying to make better refrigerant that has, you know, less of an environmental impact, which means that those systems aren't going to be set up for whatever the new refrigerant is. So they're temporary systems, right? They are not going to have some longevity as uh, whatever type of refrigerant we're currently using is phased out where if you take a look at you know an air to water system even if you had to connect the boiler to it and in fact I, I've learned that apparently you can potentially if you've got radian or any, any type of system you could potentially keep your uh, backup fossil fuel system as part of it and have it packaged with uh, these air to water systems is it's all the unit itself, right? It's packaged like it's a refrigerator. It's outside, you take it off, you connect it to some other type of system. and you're not taking apart your whole house to do that. So really are we future proofing our mechanicals by moving towards, you know, systems like this? And I I am um, I am really fascinated with it. and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experience with um, the response time on radiant, right? So, this is one of the things that as we move towards air to water systems, they're great for lower load houses, which is great. Um, But also in a lower load house, you know, you might have a time where you want to just turn up the temperature a little bit. And radiant systems, from my experience, and so really correct me if I'm wrong, are slower to respond, right? It takes longer to potentially, well, and I guess that depends on. What kind of radiant we're talking about, right? So if it's a radiant panel heater, that is, or can you use air to water with, you know, if somebody has the super lovely antique looking uh, radiators, right? So can you use them with different mediums? Cause our experiences when we have radiant floor heat, sometimes it takes a long time for that to respond. And then we could potentially have overheating till it catches up because we're cool. And then now we're opening windows and defeating the purpose. So can you talk a little bit about using yeah, it absolutely. for comfort?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's uh we're and that's like 12 years ago when I when I started with uh with Yaga, I remember going to To the factory for some training and they were showing me the installs that they were doing in europe and uh, they talked exactly about that they were just like okay well we don't want to have a full radiant floor that has a lot of mass there's a ton of concrete weight uh that has to heat up when that eventually does heat up it can take eight hours that um uh, that can be quite comfortable if you need to maintain that uh, uh, 72 Fahrenheit or or 20 Celsius. That'll, that'll be quite comfortable for that. But the second that, okay, the sun comes in now and now, uh, you have big windows, south facing windows, uh, and the sun comes in, that's going to heat up the space as well. And then now all of a sudden you're at 75. Well, let's turn down the thermostat and, uh, let's turn off that radiant floor. Well, that's going to take another eight hours for that to actually react and move and get to that lower, uh, temperature. Uh, so this, like, this is, over a decade ago in the factory where they were like okay what we should do is have a two-stage thermostat if possible where we have the radiant floor that's maintaining like a 68 maybe even a 65 Uh, that's just maintaining the baseline baseline and then we'll use terminal units that are much smaller uh, much faster to react and can also offer cooling Uh, but uh, we'll have terminal units that are either small fan coils mounted in the ceiling uh, that are minimally ducted or just mounted on the wall, Uh, and then those take minutes to uh, turn on and actually produce heat into the space. So that will actually bring the temperature from that 68, the radiant is maintaining that 68, and then that'll boost that temperature up to uh, like 72 in in minutes. Um, There's uh, something I like to say is like, we'd like to have heating and cooling almost like a light switch. Let's turn it on. You turn on your light, you get light in the room immediately. Why can't we have that for heating and cooling? Uh, you're not going to have that for uh, radiant floors at all. Like that that takes a long time to react. Um, so, yeah, I always just think my sister, I remember she was staying in a hotel in, in Banff that had, uh, they were super excited. Oh, radiant floors to be super comfortable. Well, it was a really sunny day and they couldn't turn down the heat. She was like, it was the most uncomfortable uh, time they ever had in a hotel. So it's uh yeah, they were like, it wasn't doing anything. We turn it down and it would like nothing would change. And it's like, well, yeah, it'll change slowly. And so it's uh yeah. But uh, I do really appreciate you brought up the point about uh um just the flexibility of having a hydronic setup. It's just water, and this is something we've been working with. Like you can go like to baths in Turkey that are uh, heated with uh with re- with radiant and hydronic setups from thousands of years ago. And uh this is something that we have the technology and and the the know no, like the knowledge about uh, how to do these systems and they've been with us for forever um and yeah they're so flexible so if like the refrigerant changes from uh yeah r410a to whatever next time uh like that little heat pump that's outside that maybe might need to, to have a compressor change or what have you or a circuit change inside of it but the rest of that whole building that doesn't change at all that's just water uh, and all of the terminal units all the radiant floor all of the uh, the manifold and all the valves that stays exactly the same the same you're just changing the the little um, the circuit it's, the refrigeration cycle is amazing that's like an amazing um, piece of technology in that heat pump but uh, we don't need to have that refrigerant throughout the whole space yeah well.
0: And I'd like to think that that unit comes as a packaged unit, which is then really thoroughly tested in the factory versus having the units that we have now being able to, you know, pressurize the lines and fill the lines and put a certain amount in. And it's only as good as the person who read what they said and did the correct calculation to put the right amount, because if there's too much refrigerant or not enough refrigerant, right, so it's it's relying on a lot of factors outside versus, you know, like, the likelihood of your refrigerator maybe leaking refrigerant into your space is a lot less likely cuz it was a factory made packaged unit where they check those things. Now, obviously, there's mechanical failure in everything. But we <laughs> could really reduce potentially the amount of greenhouse gas that we're creating in these environments by having it somewhere where it can be tested for faulty, you know, pieces before it gets to wherever it's going in it doesn't rely quite as much on you know the field installation our biggest problem here um because i've been really interested in it is finding people who um can install them so oh, yes. the radiant part great that that's not too hard i mean they do radiant heating for all, all kinds of things but installing the actual unit or getting it sized right because it's such new technology uh, a lot of people are more afraid to do it so finding a mechanical engineer who will size it properly and then make sure that it's installed properly and everything um, is one of our biggest challenges so i know you said you're starting to see it a lot more california is pushing it a lot more Um, how do we get installers here to um to run the risk or or jump on the bandwagon if you will uh to to do it
1: well the way i've seen this happen is um like uh, i just as we're on this call i just see one uh contractor's been calling me three times so (laughs) about something here but uh he's a uh he was a radiant guy that uh, has seen the he's like okay i can offer to my clients the ability to have um cooling through the same kind of setup like yeah so that's that's really the big thing is just like the cooling and um uh, like i'm based out of british columbia and i'm seeing this even like most people think oh yeah british columbia they don't need a lot of cooling well we had a heat dome three years ago or or, or yeah two and a half years ago I don't if you remember that but it got to uh 115 in vancouver uh so it got stupid hot and um like I had friends that were pregnant and they had to go stay in hotels because they had no one had air conditioning in their homes. And now the city of Vancouver, they've mandated all new construction has to have cooling, uh, essentially as of last year. Uh it's a normal thing. Uh, now that we we need it, but 15 years ago, we we're designing a home that didn't have to have any cooling. Um, and uh like the the house I'm in now, there's no cooling in this house. Um and uh yeah, I've got little portable air conditioners and stuff. It's terrible, but I needed some solution. And, uh, uh but um, yeah, like the, the big thing and it's like the labor shortage and, and the, the expertise to install this, that's definitely a challenge to find. Uh, and that's where I focused a little bit of energy just on um, on training these, uh, these installers on, okay, like it's not that big of a shift um, where you're just doing uh, uh, radiant floor installs. Okay, well, now you're going to be installing this heat pump outside, and then you're connecting your your manifold and your valves, that's exactly the same as before, you're connecting your pipe, just have to put insulation on it, and uh, connect to a condensate tray, uh, because these units are now going to sweat, and then that's, yeah, explaining to those contractors how to to do this, Uh, that's been a, a a big focus for for me where i'm training these contractors on, on getting some comfort on installing uh an air to water heat pump setup so they can actually get some proper cooling in these homes and i'm seeing a lot of uptick uh like company names that are very like warm zone like uh company names like that they're great now at installing uh, uh air to water heat pump setups in uh in homes and yeah it's been a cool uh cool shift in the industry i've been seeing lately so yeah
0: it's it's really exciting. So um I know this is probably a specific question for the company that you uh represent right across the board but you know we're starting yes. to see houses that are you know uh 11,000 kbtu right so or yes. or less so we're starting to see these really small loads um you know, wh- what's the smallest system or unit right now that is available. And if you can't get one that's small enough, you know, what's the efficiency loss by having one that is, you know, potentially you can larger than get you small, eat.
1: small air to water heat pumps, there's like quite a few different manufacturers. Like we don't make an air to water heat pump. Uh Yaga doesn't. We work with uh with different manufacturers of uh air to water heat pumps, but they have tiny ones that can go down in very small uh tonnages um uh, like uh yeah like one ton units uh like 12,000 BTU so it's uh the, those ones I like a lot of the times I'll be working on like monstrous homes where it's like okay yeah we'll need some really big uh, uh big heat pumps but a lot of I've definitely uh, worked on in some in, in Oregon and one in Washington state that was quite small uh, very small heat pump set up and then really the, the terminal units that they can use then are uh it's kind of interesting like they don't need a lot like these are, are homes that are really tightly built and nicely designed uh, where they don't need a lot of uh, of cooling. Cooling is always the dominant load. Um, heating is just like minuscule. So it's uh, the the heating that we'll get out of uh, a terminal unit will typically be two or three times what we'll get out of the cooling. So we size the devices based on the cooling load and then whatever we get out of the heating load is like, it's going to be more than adequate um, in, in pretty much all instances, even in, in climates like Alberta. Uh, so we'll design them for the cooling load, and then uh, the heating is just, we'll have the fans operate at 50% speed or less uh, for the heating, and it'll be more than adequate. Uh, so the thing is, too, anytime we're talking about cooling, we need to get some movement of air. Uh, there are effective radiant sealing um, installs, uh, and there's a, a radiant sealing product that uh, uh, with quite a few different manufacturers that I see that works quite well. Uh, But those struggle with actually getting high cooling values. So if you have a lot of glass, a lot of west or south facing glass, the radiant ceiling is going to maybe not uh, be adequate for that. So that's why they'll supplement that with uh, a unit that has a fan or or something that's actually going to move the air and get some appreciable cooling.
0: the the radiant ceilings too would also uh potentially require you to spend more time paying attention to the relative humidity inside the space
1: right absolutely yeah you're they have to be uh, like the cooling water that's flowing through those ceiling products that has to be above dew point um, or else you're going to get rain in your space which is not good
0: which is not great
1: (laughs) so it's uh yeah uh that's like all the uh like they, we're essentially talking about fan coils. So um, Yaga's, yeah, uh we've been producing fan coils for quite a while now <laughs> and uh, on so many different projects and all of our fan coils, they have a condensate tray. So you can have those, um, the water temperature actually the heat pump is quite effective at generating water at, at 43, 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and uh, you can have that low water temperature to these terminal units. There's a tray on that unit. And then once that coil sweats, that. Trey is going to pick it all up. So, so and that's been, uh, out of everything, these, uh, installation, uh, companies, like the contractors, they're not used to dealing with condensate. So that's been a lot of, uh, of training and just ensuring them like, okay, guys, that we can do this. Um, uh, and this doesn't have to be on, on new projects. Like we've done this on renovations where, um, they're, they want to completely retrofit their, uh, uh, their mechanical system to allow for cooling we've done lots of this and that uh, makes a nice uh, makes it a pretty easy option because it's like now okay we have a small fan coil that can either mount on the wall and the ceiling uh, or like surface mount and then uh, that actually worked well for even a reno so yeah it's been uh, so many different uh, different installs
0: and i think one of the best parts of moving towards these all electric uh places one um i'm not sure the infrastructure in our country is prepared for all of us to go all electric yet but uh that's a that's a whole different uh conversation but um the combination of doing that with renewable energies is uh, is pretty exciting we do solar on um if not all, I would say most of our projects or they're solar ready or they're in a site where potentially the client can't take advantage of solar. And so they join, um, we have a lot of community solar here in Maine, which is, which is great. So, um, I, I do love the fact that, you know, it is tied to a slightly more renewable, although I guess we have to worry a little bit about, you know, using things if we're not producing our own renewables, um, using electricity in areas where the way we produce our electricity is uh, less good, right? We talked about yes. refrigerants leaking and, you know, driving your F-150, but we should also probably talk about going all electric and then using a, you know, coal-fired power plant to produce yes. the electricity that we use. So,
1: yeah, I haven't done any jobs in West Virginia yet, so I don't know. I can't exactly. <laughs> that, uh, but but uh, in Maine specifically, we've actually done quite a few jobs uh, in in. Uh, your neck of the woods. And, uh, and and there was one, actually, I just came across a schedule across my desk, like this schedule of all the equipment they're looking on there. And it said, contact Tesla Motors. And I was like, what the heck is this doing on there? And they had a power wall and a full... Uh, uh, solar uh, collector system to a uh, uh, battery backup, I guess, is what it was. It was the first time I've seen that on a, a mechanical schedule. So, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> thought that was interesting. I don't know how that, uh, why that was on that uh, mechanical schedule. Because normally, me, I'll just be looking at uh, the schedule, and saying, okay, these are the terminal units they require. This is the BTU load of each one, and and uh, but then on the side of that, we also had the uh, uh, the the power walls with a battery backup, which was interesting to see.
0: That is really interesting to see because um, we have been talking a lot more about this. Um, And in our part of the country, it's often because we lose power in the wintertime due to some kind of snow or ice. But there are other places in the country that are, um, you know, out in the West Coast where you're having a lot more fire, where they have intentional uh, power outages, where they uh, shut down the grid, or even in some of the larger cities where they're, you know, overproducing on energy a lot of times in the summer, they will shut down, you know different grids or sections of the city for, you know, maybe two to four hours or something. So they're doing a lot of intentional power outages. So people are asking a lot more about battery backup or, you know, what kind of backup can you have? Here in Maine, if it's just that we're worried about heat, some people will put in wood stoves Um, in the environmental indoor air quality um, and perfect world. We'd tell you to never have any intentional indoor fires. Um, That's not always practical here. One, if you live in an area that you do lose power a lot or two, um, there's just an emotional response to having wood stoves and fireplaces. And so some, some people just really need that um, in their spaces. Um, But and I hear that
1: big time. I, I lived on Vancouver Island just before where every second home had a wood burning stove or fireplace. And uh, to say the air quality outside in that community I lived in was less than favorable. So,
0: yeah, right. So, really thinking uh, consciously about what we're doing and reburn if you have to do it and all kinds of, you know, there's so, so much more. That was not today's. Um today's question, but what I was going to ask uh, about that and that I thought was interesting that it came back to you with the battery backup on the mechanical schedule is our experience here is that we don't put our heat pumps um, on our battery backup simply because it burns through the battery in, you know, four to six hours. Um, would that be the same for air to water, or does it just use less energy? So potentially, you could use, you know, the the Tesla Power Walls. I think uh, are like five five thousand kW, right? So we've yeah. done somewhere we have two, where we have ten thousand kW, but it's just not enough to run, you know, the heat that pumps for an extended power outage.
1: True, it, it would be the case. So the compressors on those heat pumps do draw a good amount. It's that's it's no different per se, like it's not a silver bullet where we're saying, okay, this is drawing less, but like compressors do, uh, consume a fair, a fair bit of power, um, on those heat pumps. That being said, you could run it for a shorter period of time. If it's fully hydronic, because those, um, the pumping energy that's required to actually push all that water through the circuit is very low. Uh, so it's, uh, maybe not for like eight hours of time, but, uh, it could, um, the, the heat pump itself, yeah, that's using a good amount of uh, electricity, but uh, they actually push that, uh, that cooling water or heating water through the space. There's very little energy that's being used from that. Uh, And then the fans that are actually in the space, those a lot of times are low voltage DC. So those are next to no energy. That's like a computer monitor on standby. Uh, So that's something that I'm seeing now, like a, a lot of interest on it too. It's like, okay, well, Traditionally, they'll have like a large air handler, that fan energy that that air handler is using to push that air through a duct, uh, that can be quite high. Whereas uh, now that the new EC motor technology or even low voltage DC fans, uh, those can be far, far less uh, uh, consumption of energy. Like we're talking like less than 60 watts uh, through those things. So it's uh, that's, been, that's been a really nice uh, change in the industry where I'm seeing all these EC motors, uh being used all over the place it's led to i don't know if you've, you've been aware of the lead time issues that that's created during uh post-covid but uh trying to get ec motors has been a, a challenge uh, on lots of these projects so,
0: yeah. yeah uh unfortunately the last two or three years has been a challenge to getting a lot of different uh integral parts to our buildings which has been yes. um challenging but also kind of interesting because in some ways it pushes us to think outside of the box and like what else can create that so maybe it has led to some design inspiration for for this and and so uh although now that we have this thing that we really want to use that we still can't get so
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's led to like uh, lots of different projects like where, where I'm seeing like traditionally a, a contractor always been using XYZ manufacturer. And then they're like, Hey, well, the lead times are two years for that. I can't use that anymore. So, uh, then they're, they're reaching out to different suppliers and and finding new ways to do things. So it's kind of branching out things a little bit. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, like just myself in, in British Columbia here where, uh, There is definitely a huge mandate in in the city of Vancouver, where like I'm seeing at first, it was like no gas connections to a lot of these uh, new structures Uh, and then the district energy heating, uh, district heating, that was a big or that is a big push where uh, they're just using a there's one separate uh, or offsite district plant uh, that's using waste heat from a sewer uh, to generate the heat for a building. Uh, but then that has to go through uh, uh, kind of a a heat exchanger and then uh, have hot water into the space. That hot water is at lower temperature and that's leading to needing lower or higher quality terminal units that actually work at the lower temperature. So I've been seeing like that's been a huge push, but then COVID comes around and then it's harder to find uh, that some of the parts specifically rated for that. So we have to look at different suppliers. So it's a yeah, uh, but it's just really interesting seeing the, the genesis of these projects, where it's like, okay, big push for district heating, and then now there's district cooling. Uh, that's something. Well, those are projects I'm really interested in working on, and uh, I do see British Columbia as a as a kind of jurisdiction that uh, has been at the forefront of installing some of these systems. Now I'm even seeing that in Minnesota now too. So it's uh, uh, lots of different places.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's awesome to see what's coming. Cause I feel like it's been, it's been a struggle in the mechanical world as the, our houses get more high performance, you know, the, the, what are we doing with our mechanicals has been really interesting um, yeah. for sure. So seeing just really in a way innovative and different ways to kind of handle it um, is, is cool. And seeing things that trickle down from, you know, larger scale or commercial world to like, yeah, why aren't we doing this in our even single family residential structures? And um You know, it's all just really exciting to see people. Well, I I see
1: the the trickle down. Like I'm based out of Vancouver where it's just all high rise residential. Like that's, that's. I don't know if you Google imaged Vancouver recently, but if you did, it would just like, you could kind of confuse it for Hong Kong. Like it's just uh, like lots of different high rises. And I'm seeing the technology that's being used on those and what we've learned in the decades of of designing and and constructing these buildings, that's now trickling down into single family home design and seeing that spread out to like... uh, uh, all over California. They're using some of the things we've learned on, on these high-rise uh, installs. Uh, some of the first times we used air-to-water heat pumps, those were in in North America, those were in Vancouver, where they would put a large version, let's say like a much larger tonnage version on a roof uh, or even in a parkade if there was good ventilation in that parkade. Because the roofs, uh, they want to have that like, fancy penthouse type thing, so they want to keep that roof line clear of the cattle equipment. So then sometimes they would put it in that in the parkade and make sure that it's properly ventilated so that heat pump can breathe. And, um, yeah, then that technology kind of scaled down for the single family homes, uh, has been really interesting to see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that was really exciting. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm going to ask you a random question. Well, not random, but uh, I know that you said Yaga doesn't make uh, air to water heat pumps, but what are you seeing or who are you working with? Uh, So if there are people listening that want to kind of look into it, who are you seeing in North America that does make that? Um, Or obviously they can come to you and partner with you, um, but in general...
1: totally yeah um I, I we remain brand agnostic so like for us it, we we make the terminal units that actually mate to uh whatever the air to water heat pump is uh and the terminal units that we make are very small and incredibly quiet um and pretty flexible with where they can be placed uh, but yeah, like space pack i'm seeing lots of different projects that are using space pack and it's packed with a k uh chill is another company um uh, airmac out of italy uh uh, those are the three kind of more common ones that I see. Uh, I do know years ago, this is like over a decade ago, Daikin had a, a product called the Altherma, which was a very nice air to water heat pump, but they stopped producing that for, or they still produce it, but they stopped uh, delivering it to North America for some reason. Uh, I think there was some commercial and political reasons associated to that that I won't need to delve into, but uh, yeah, and just because of that, I'm seeing like space pack, those are all over the place. Uh, the Chiltrex ones, there's uh yeah, there's those are the, the in California specifically I'm seeing a lot of space packs. Uh, but uh yeah.
0: That's great. That sends people, you know, down an avenue of of looking into exactly. you, you know who makes it. And actually the part that you do. Um, is the even bigger part that we've been seeing is, you know, five years ago, in Maine we would have said we didn't really do air conditioning either, but, you know, every year, maybe it's a little bit more than five, I say five, but I've probably been saying that for the last three years. So like eight years yes. ago, uh, you know, it, it was sort of this joke is like, wow, well, you know, we don't do air conditioning. in Maine like nobody needs Maine but needs it, but that is really changing, you know? And oh, so for sure. yes. our, our biggest thing is like, okay, well, radiant systems, we can't do that because you know, people you know, in our in our end uh, in the residential market, where maybe people uh, care a little bit more about how everything looks, as like there wasn't. Yes, you can hang a unit on the wall, but you know, trying to even just get people to like the look of an air to air heat 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 pump hanging on the wall has yes. been a challenge. And so, been oh, saying like,
1: <laughs> I want radiance so I don't
0: have to see this. And then it's yeah, like, yeah. oh my gosh, how do I give very this very thing? much so. So that's
1: like yeah. I'll work like crazy with architects and interior designers on how to hide the uh, terminal units and to fit them into the space. We've had some beautiful installs. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll try to highlight those uh, as much as we can to like, mo- honestly, when people send me an email, it's very rare that I'll respond and there's no picture. Uh, so almost always I'll respond with a picture of something just to like, we're talking in the space, like terminal spaces is right. Going to be in your living space. And it's like, okay, well, don't want to have this big, ugly box that's like looks like was designed in the 1960s and whereas in your classroom or something. So like you want to make this fit seamlessly into the space. So I'll be working with architects and your designers to ensure that this actually works nicely in the space. And uh, And yeah, doesn't take up a lot of room.
0: Yeah, because that was going to be my last question there, right? Is We had to talk about visuals because I think in our personal homes, people just are a little bit more particular. But how much space does it take up, right? So can I fit it in between a floor joist? Can I run the mildly ducted amount through an open web truss? Uh, You -hmm. know, do I need to have a chase way that, you know, so obviously this isn't a typical install. So there's no, like, it depends. It was my favorite answer to every question, but can can you, can you work them into what is traditional in building, you know, into a floor system, into a wall system, or is it something that, um, and uh, another reason to bring it back all the way to the beginning, which is that we need to plan our mechanical systems while we're designing our structures, not sort of give you whatever space is left over, uh,
1: but a lot of times, that's what we got. That's what we got to deal with. And uh, so, in, the, in those situations where that's like, yeah, we do have products that fits between fit between joists. We do have uh, uh, products that you can bury into the wall vertically, uh, and then just have two small little slots on the top and bottom. And That's for uh, for return air and and supply air. Uh, and how do we get access to these units to to change the filter, like things like that? Like I'll, I'll really. Uh, we've really had a lot of attention to the aesthetics of this being a company that's based out of Europe that that's like, I'll, I'll have colleagues come to North America and they're like, I can't believe they installed it. that. That was terrible. And it's, uh, there's so much attention to detail in terms of, of aesthetics. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, a really, um, and that's a big thing with working with, with Yaga is aesthetics are so right at the forefront. So it's, uh, we, we have to like, we say beauty is sustainable. you make something that's beautiful you're going to want to keep it in a space and like you're not going to want to rip that out and replace it five to ten years later so let's make something that's beautiful
0: so yeah yeah but you hit on a pretty good house point right there so we should quit while we're ahead um i really appreciate (laughs) you you coming on we say that all the time in pretty good house if it's not beautiful people aren't going to keep it and then what's the point if we've put all this energy into it for people to just tear it down so
1: yes, um totally
0: where can they find you afterwards? You know, how do they look up or potentially get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. Um, the Yaga USA.com. Uh, so Yaga is called J A G A, uh, it stands for Jan and Gaston. They were two guys in Belgium in the fifties that started the company, but Yaga USA.com. And, uh, there's a contact us. My email address is right in there. Uh, but, uh, or, uh, anybody at Yaga. Uh, also, LinkedIn. We're very uh, active on LinkedIn. Uh, so Yaga Climate Designers uh, on LinkedIn. That's a really and and we all we monitor that quite closely. So LinkedIn would probably be another good way to get to get a hold of us.
0: Great, that's awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on uh, and recording with me today. This is obviously something that I am uh, super excited about. So um, well, I appreciate thank you, Emily. you. It's been a
1: great conversation.
0: Yeah, um, and we'll make sure that we put it in the show notes as well. So uh, if people are listening in their cars and they want to go home uh, later and look it back up so that you don't have to remember that, uh, we'll make sure that it gets in the show notes. So uh, thank you for, for spending some time with us today. Thank you for joining me on this crazy journey to learn more about building science and what is happening in our built environment. Until next time, stay nerdy.